I am Yosef. Is my father still alive? Yaakov sees his prophecy revived. All Egyptian land belonged to Paro except for the priests. The Jews did well in Egypt and, there's no, and their numbers increased. So this week's Parsha is Parshat Vayigash. And the Parsha is really a continuation of last week's Parsha. And last week's Parsha ended with Yehuda apologizing to um, what he thought was the viceroy of Egypt, who was actually um, who was actually Yosef, his brother. Uh, but his apology in last week's Parsha was very remarkable for two reasons. It was a, an excellent apology. If you have to make an apology, follow Yehuda's um, <coughs> uh, structure. And he first says that he has no excuses. He says, how can we justify ourselves? And that's one element of a good apology. Don't make excuses. Don't say, yes, we did this, but, you know, whatever. If you're really going to apologize, don't make any excuses. The next amazing thing about Yehuda's apology that we saw in last week's Parsha is that he had some action. So don't just say, I apologize, but say, how are you going to be better? And that's what Yehuda did. He said he was ready to be a slave uh, to, to Egypt, to, to, uh, <clears throat> to, to uh, Yosef. And so those two elements make a very good apology. The first element being that he didn't make any excuses. The second element being that he had an action attached to it. Mainly, he was willing to be a slave uh, to Yosef. Okay, so in this week's Parsha, though, uh, the Parsha begins with saying, Vayigash elav Yehuda, uh, that, 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 uh, that basically Yehuda approached um, him. And what does that really mean? The way that, first of all, vayigash being being approach, um, the 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 reason why we take three steps forward in the Shemona Esrei is corresponding to three different times that um, that that the word vayigash to approach is said in the Torah, and I think all three of these times are um, sort of elements or, or things that we should be taking into our davening of the Shemona Esrei. So in this particular instance of Vayigash, it's an example where Yehuda is, um, is praying, is begging uh, on the behalf of somebody else. He's not asking for his own, um, his own salvation. Rather, he's asking for the salvation of his brother, Binyamin. And that's perhaps one nice way to pray, is to pray maybe on behalf of somebody else. Um, Okay, but but the other question is the way that the 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 parsha begins by Yigash elav Yehuda. It would have made more sense, I've heard, to instead say by Yigash Yehuda elav, namely Yehuda approached him, and him, of course, being Yosef. But the way that it's written, um, the Katzkarevi says the way that it's written, it could be interpreted as instead by Yigash elav Yehuda being. Uh, Yehuda approached himself. Who's the he that he approached? Yehuda approached approached himself, being that uh, I heard this idea from uh, from Rabbi Goldberg. He says that that uh, when when you, you sometimes before you make an argument, you have to approach yourself. You have to say, "Do I really believe what I'm going to say?" And since he really believed it, then he was able to actually speak out his argument, but he first had to approach himself. He first had to address his own mind and think about, was he, did he really have his heart behind the words that, that he was planning to say? Um, 
you know, and so so the actual words of uh, of this of this plea to to uh, Yosef are really just a recap of what everybody already knows. It, he you know he kind of goes over the whole uh, Yehuda goes over the whole story, and and you know uh, Yosef was there for most of the story. So why does he need to hear it again? And I heard the answer is that basically it's like a lawyer in closing arguments. You know, the closing arguments very often, it's just a, rep- a repetition of what happened all trial long. And sometimes it's just, it's an, that's an extremely important step when you're making an argument to look back at all the previous happenings. What happened before? What's the storyline? What narrative do you want to tell? And you can't just assume, you can't just make the plea automatically to say, you know what, I want to be Yehuda ultimately asked that he should be a slave instead of instead of uh, Yosef, uh, sorry, instead of Benjamin. But instead of just coming out and saying that, he has to sort of tr- backtrack. He has to go over the narrative like a lawyer in his closing arguments. And when you are able to sort of phrase the narrative and and um, sort of have play a little bit of revision, revisionist history and uh, play the facts of what happened in the most favorable light, then ultimately it'll be more convincing uh, in your in your final plea. Um and another notable thing in this recap of the story is that he says the reason why uh, Benjamin should be saved is because he was our father's favorite. And of course, that's really the complete opposite. That's that's almost the exact reason why uh, all the brothers, namely Yehuda, decided to sell uh, Yosef into slavery all those years ago is because Yosef was the favorite. So now that Benjamin is the favorite, you can see that the brothers really changed that the very fact that Benjamin is the favorite is the reason why the brothers want to save him as where um, years back, the very reason they, that Yosef was the favorite is the very reason that they sold him. Uh, so they've had quite a, a change of heart. Okay, so moving on, um, the, in, in, this, in this plea, he says, you're like Paro. Uh, Yehuda says to, to Yosef, you're like Paro. And Rashi explains many different reasons. I'll give two of them. Two of the reasons Rashi says that he's like Paro. One is that he's important. He's as important as Paro. Uh, you know that uh, Yehuda, that that Yosef uh, has so much power. He's just as important as Paro. That's really a nice compliment. But the other way Rashi says you you know you could interpret it is that just as that um, that 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 Paro in the past in the in a few parshas ago that uh, got leprosy from trying to. Uh, from from trying to take Sarah away from Avraham, just like that person that got leprosy, so too you will get leprosy. You'll be physically punished um, for trying to take Benjamin. And I think that this ambiguity is another sort of key element in Yehuda's uh, plea, because the, the, depending on the way that Yosef wants to interpret this, Yosef could interpret this as saying, I'm all powerful because he's comparing me to Paro. Or he could say, or, you know, it, the, the ambiguity um, in his message that you're like Paro could leave the door open to saying actually a criticism that you'll be physically punished if you decide to take Benjamin. And sort of uh, basically the lesson here is that if you're, 
if you're making an argument, maybe you want to leave a little bit of ambiguity, and that ambiguity being, on one hand, it could be flattering, on the other hand, it could be criticism, because sometimes flattery works, and sometimes criticism works, and if you can get, you know, sort of a two-for-one deal, um, and, and leave that open to interpretation, then that's a, uh, a very nice strategy to, to have. Okay, so, so moving on, so Yosef, uh, he is so overwhelmed with emotions, uh, that he tells all of his attendants to to leave him, and then he, um, he he tells his brothers who he is. But this is an extremely vulnerable moment for Yosef because you think about this: Yosef's one person, as where his brothers are twelve people, and the and and seemingly his brothers have a quite a, a track record of very violent tendencies, uh, destroying the city of Shechem, and. Um, Yet Yosef, and Yosef knows about this this track, this history, yet Yosef's still willing um, to say, everybody leave me, and all my attendants leave, and even though this could leave the door open for the brothers to attack him and, and kill him, uh, because obviously they were being put, the brothers were being put in a very precarious situation, um, so Yosef's really leaving himself open to attack, but Rashi says, that this, the reason that he did this is to avoid embarrassing his brothers. And again, uh, just how important the Torah stresses uh, that how far you should go to avoid embarrassment, even if it means death, as I spoke about that with, um, with Tamar being willing to possibly uh, have herself killed just to avoid embarrassing Yehuda. And similarly here, that Yosef was willing to leave himself in a very vulnerable, vulnerable situation with his, with his uh, 11 brothers, just if that means that avoiding their, their shame. Um, okay, so moving on. So when Yosef finally uh, reveals himself, he says, I'm Yosef, is my father still alive? And um, th- so there's a few different questions on this. First of all, of course, the father's still alive. You know, we, we just heard from Yehuda um, a few paragraphs ago that his father was alive. So why, why is he even asking that? So Rabbi Goldberg explains here that what he's asking is, is my father still alive within me? I'm Yosef. Is my father s- still alive within me? You know, you think about this, Yosef has already uh, really become an Egyptian person. He's wearing Egyptian clothes, he's he's an Egyptian leader, he's well acquainted with Egyptian culture, and he says, is my father, is is my, is my sort of, uh, my fatherland, if you will, is the, are the people and and the culture and the, and the ethics, uh, is that still alive within me? Is my father still alive within me? And that's what he was asking. He wasn't asking about his father's health, rather he was asking about was his father's sort of spirit, was his father's ethics still alive within Yosef, even though Yosef was dressed and acted like a uh, like an Egyptian? Um, the, the other point being is that uh, this I'm you know I'm Yosef is my father still alive? The the Chafetz Chaim explains this is going to be a similar question that uh, all of us are going to be asked on Judgment Day on, on Yom Hadin, uh, where God is going to say, I'm God, you know, and basically reveal uh, all that, uh, all the, everything will be will be clear before us, and all we can do is be silent, the Chafetz Chaim says. And, um, and what are we silent about? Um, again, Rabbi Goldberg, Rabbi Goldberg explains here that um, what we're going to be silent about is the fact that, uh, that all those things that we thought we were justified in doing, you know, the brothers sold Yosef thinking that they were justified in selling him. 
all those things we thought we were justified doing will become clear that we weren't justified and we'll have to completely you know, restructure our thought process of the things we thought were okay ended up not being okay. And that's going to be so detrimental to our spirits that all we can do is be silent. Moving on. So, um, so, so then Yosef tells his brothers, you know what? Don't feel bad. Um, you're, you don't, don't feel bad. Uh, it was, this was all part of, part of God's plan. And, um, and and so one interpretation here I heard is that the slave that slavery is normally forced upon a group of people. Uh, you think about in America that slavery was literally you know forced upon Africans being shipped in 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 uh, in, in ships against their will. Uh, as where here at least sort of the silver lining, if you will, is that at least the uh, the Jewish people got a hero's welcome into Egypt. Yeah, eventually they became slaves, but they got this hero's welcome. Uh, another point being is that um, Yosef explains, he says, I'm your brother uh, that you sold into, into Egypt. And why is this, why should this comfort, uh, why should this comfort the brothers? Um, you know, he should have said, I'm, I'm your brother who, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you grew up with as a, as a kid. Why is he saying, why is he focusing on sort of the worst moment in their lives, that moment that, the, the, that he was sold into, in, into slavery? That seems like something that would not comfort the brothers. The fact that, uh, do you remember that time you sold me into slavery? That's not a very comforting thing to say. So the answer I heard here is that uh, what it, it's the, the word used is asher, um, which usually means that. So I'm your brother that you sold into, into Egypt. But it could also be interpreted as because. So instead, I'm your brother um because you sold me into Egypt. So again, a similar idea that it's it's precisely because you sold me into Egypt that I still have sort of that, that I was able to rise to the rank of uh the Egyptian viceroy and um and 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 ultimately you know save Egypt and really save the brothers um from from starvation. Uh so it's precisely because you sold me into into slavery that's why I am who I am today. Okay, uh, so moving on. So um, Paro, the, the the news that the brothers came to visit uh, to visit him was vayetev vayene Paro that um, that it was pleasing in the eyes of Paro, and uh, the the Smarno here comments that that the reason it was so pleasing to Paro is because now he realized that Yosef was no longer a foreigner. Now he realized that Yosef wasn't some foreign leader and had no skin in the game, had no family there that he cared about. Now he sees that his brothers are there, thus he, he has some skin in the game to, uh, to treat Egypt correctly. Um, uh, okay, so now, moving on, so the Parsha, so, so, so Yaakov, I'm uh, sorry, Yosef tells his brothers um, on their way down, or on, their way, on their way back to, uh, to Israel, he tells them, Al tirgzu baderach, don't become angry on the way. And I heard uh, one interpretation here is that what would they become angry with? Uh, one interpretation is they would become angry with the derech, with the path, being that 
everybody kind of goes on their own. Everyone has their own derech. Everyone has their own path, has their own way in life. And what he's telling them is, don't become angry with somebody else's derech. Don't become angry with someone else's path, with someone else's way of life. Um, obviously, if there's a reason to be angry with it, then that's another story. But, you know, just on their way back to Egypt, everybody's going to be doing, on their way, you know, uh, back to Israel, everyone's going to be doing something a little bit differently. And don't become angry at each other just because everyone has, you know, their own ways of doing things. Moving on. So um, the uh, the sages teach that the news was delivered by Sarah. By uh, by playing the harp and singing songs to to uh, to uh, to Yaakov, telling Yaakov the news that his son Yosef is still alive, and not only is he still alive, but he's the leader of Egypt. And uh, the reason that Sarah has to play the harp and sing in in sort of this very dramatic way is because big news should be delivered very carefully. So because this was such huge news that could have really shook shook uh, ya- shook Yaakov and possibly even hurt him, even though it was good news, it could have hurt Yaakov just because of the how big a news it was that that his son that he thought was dead was still alive, and not only was he still alive, he was the leader of Egypt. It was such huge news it had to be presented in the right way by playing the harp, by singing, um, and and that's what they did. That they were very careful. Uh, you should be very careful in delivering, especially big news. Okay, so, um, but but ultimately, um, at first at least, uh, Yaakov rejected the news. His heart rejected the news that that Yosef was still alive. And the Avos de Rabbi Nassim says that it's sort of the boy who cried wolf. That uh, you know uh, that years back when when Yaakov saw that bloody. Um, that that bloody piece of clothing that belonged to uh, that that belonged to Yosef, he assumed the worst. He assumed that he was killed, and because of that assumption, now he lost sort of the 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 brothers lost all credibility, and that's why he didn't believe them. That's why he didn't believe the brothers at first that he was still alive, and um, and you know I think that's sort of a nice lesson that. Really, when showing that bloody tunic, they didn't directly lie to him. They just said, here's the bloody tunic. Make what assumptions you want to make from it. And, you know, I think we saw that recent news um, in, you know, in, in, in football. There's a lot of people sort of lying about uh, their vaccination status, for example. And uh, like Aaron Rodgers lying about sort of sort of lying about his vaccination status, saying he was immunized, but not actually vaccinated, uh, you know, and and similarly here, it's like they they showed the uh, they, they showed the, the 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 bloody cloak. And even though it wasn't necessarily directly a lie, he didn't directly lie to him that his brothers that, that his brother uh, that they even though the brothers didn't directly lie to their father that Yosef. Um, had had died, uh, they sort of implied it. And because of j- even just the implication, even though they didn't flatly lie, even the implication uh, made, made the dad not trust him anymore. Uh, okay, so moving on. So Yaakov, um, he, he gets his prophecy back. Uh, for all the years that, that Yosef was gone, he didn't have prophecy. He gets his prophecy back that God will descend to Egypt and then bring uh, the Jews eventually back out out of Egypt, and uh, but but interestingly, Yaakov throughout 
the Torah, he only gets his prophecy at night. And I think this is directly related to the holiday of Hanukkah that just passed, um, being that this time of year has the longest nights. And that's the point of Hanukkah, that, that again, Yaakov, he really was leading the Jews, the Jewish people into Egypt, into a very, very dark time in Jewish history of, of Egyptian slavery. And despite that darkness, Yaakov was still able to have prophecy and so too for Hanukkah, despite the darkness and the long nights, uh, we're still able to see, you know, the light from, uh, from the Hanukkah. Moving on, so Paro asked Yaakov, what are the days of the years of your life? Which is a really weird way of saying, how old are you? So the point here being why that's such a long saying is because these are two separate ideas. Um, the first being, what are the years of your life? Which is just how old are you? But then, what are the days of the years of your life? That days part is saying, you know, very often times, Paro realized, he was this great leader, Paro, realized that a person isn't, you know, isn't going to make every single day useful. So he was saying, how many days of your life did you actually use correctly? And, uh, and Yaakov, of course, responds with saying, you know, I've lived, but I haven't lived anywhere near what my ancestors lived. Um, and basically... Both of these two great leaders, Paro and Yaakov, are both saying to each other, look, uh, I'm nowhere near who I used to be. I'm sorry, are, are both saying that, you know, as long as I've lived, I haven't used all my days productively. And sort of Kalvachomer, certainly, uh, if they didn't use their, their days as productively as they could, certainly we uh, probably are not using our days as productively um, and as worthwhile uh, as we could. Okay, so moving on. So the last point in the Parsha is basically during this, this terrible drought, the Egyptian drought, um, all the money from everybody's money is gone for paying, you know, they, they, they spend all their money on green. And then um, Yosef says, well, sell your livestock. So they sell their livestock. Then they have absolutely nothing except for the, the land they live on. And uh, so what does uh, Yosef say? Yosef says, sell me your land and you'll be sharecroppers. And even though he doesn't make them slaves, that he just makes them sharecroppers, still, you know, sharecropping, I think we've seen in, in somewhat in American history, that sharecropping is basically hardly a step above slavery. And the point here being is that, yes, it's totally true that Yaakov had every, so that Yosef had every reason to demand that people sell their land. You know, they, they had, um, he was the one with the resources. He said, if you want these resources, buy it from me. Um, and so he had every reason to ask for the land. Yet, uh, I heard a tremendous thing is that even though he was, you know, he was um, sort of justified in asking for their land, this ultimately backfired because sort of setting up this sharecropper industry laid the groundwork for a slavery infrastructure that ultimately the Jewish people filled. And uh, the point here being is that we shouldn't necessarily squeeze every penny out of every person at all times. So even though it's true, you know, he was, Yosef was justified in taking all of their land, he maybe shouldn't have done it because that had, that had negative, that had a, a very, very negative impact of creating this sort of slavery infrastructure. And that slavery infrastructure, again, the Jewish people filled. So just the lesson being is that even though if we're justified in taking every penny, we maybe should think about the ramifications of, of doing so. Okay, so to recap my points, I spoke about in how in last week's Parsha, we heard a tremendous apology from Yehuda. 
um, saying that what excuse do we have for stealing your goblet? Not giving us basically no excuses. How can we justify ourselves? That's one element of good apology. The second element of good apology is they were ready to do something. There was an action. They were ready to be slaves. So again, the first good thing about that apology was there were no excuses. The second good thing about the apology was they were ready to take an action. They were ready to to be slaves, uh, to, to pay for their sins. So, um, one, one little point I didn't talk about is that, you know, why didn't Yehuda make this impassioned plea, uh, in last week's Parsha? Why only now? It's because in last week's Parsha, we saw Yosef say, no, 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 no. We don't want you all to be slaves. We only want Benjamin to be slave. So Yehuda thought in last week's Parsha that, he wanted everyone to be a slave, and that was sort of payment for uh, that. That was that was that was payback for for selling um, for selling Yosef into slavery. But once he realizes, wait, no, that wasn't payback. They just want uh, Benjamin, and Benjamin wasn't even the person that sold him into slavery. Uh, then that must be a sign that Benjamin. Uh, that 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 this this whole scheme to imprison Benjamin is just that it's just a scheme, um, and it's not to repay any actual wrong, and therefore that's why he he gives such an impassioned plea. Okay, so the parsha begins by Vayigash Elav Yehuda. So I spoke about how Vayigash is mentioned three times in the Torah, and that corresponds to three three different times that we step forward for Shimon Esrei, and I said this particular time we see one of the lessons of prayer is that we should really try to pray on behalf of someone else. This is Yehuda, uh, you know, um, approaching. This is Yehuda um, making an argument on behalf of Binyamin. Uh, okay, so I also spoke about how the words Vayigash Elav Yehuda seem a little bit out of order. It should have been Vayigash Yehuda Elav, which would have meant Yehuda approached him. Uh, Yehuda approached Yosef. But the way that it's written by Yigash Elav Yehuda, it could be read that uh, that Yehuda approached himself, and the lesson being is that when we are making an argument, we should first approach ourselves before we give the argument. We should ask ourselves, do we really believe what we're saying? Um, okay, so I also spoke about uh, how you know it seems like this is really just a recap of everything that was already said. And the um, and 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 I said this is like a lawyer who um, gives his closing arguments, you know. And in, in the closing arguments, a lot of the times you're just rehashing what was already said in that court case. And so too here that uh, that he was sort of rehashing, he was reframing the story. He wasn't just getting to the bottom line and saying you know, let my brother Binyamin go, he was saying, giving the whole background, giving the whole backdrop, and within that, in that context, that's how, that was a more efficacious way to ask for, uh, for, for Binyamin's freedom. Okay, so uh, he, he, Yehuda compares Yosef to, he says he's like Paro, and Rashi says this could be interpreted in different ways. It could be interpreted as a good way, like you're as important as Paro, you're as powerful as Paro. Or it could be interpreted negatively um, that you'll get leprosy just like that earlier Paro got leprosy when he was punished for taking Sarah. You're going to be punished when you take Benjamin. And I said that this ambiguity is a very important part of making an argument, that 
we should leave sometimes we should we should purposefully lead leave some ambiguity in to say you're like paro so depending on whether yosef wanted to view that as a good thing that he was as important as paro or whether he wanted to view that as a threat that he'll get leprosy um that's sometimes that ambiguity is very nice because it leaves room for all kinds of people have are influenced by different things so if you're influenced by flattery or if you're influenced by criticism he kind of left enough ambiguity to understand it in both ways moving on so yosef um tells everybody to leave the room and rashi says this was an effort to not embarrass his brothers uh, but I said this came at a great cost because Yosef already knew how dangerous his brothers were, yet he tells everybody else to leave because he doesn't want to embarrass them. And I spoke about how, just like with Tamar and Yehuda, that Tamar was willing to even risk her life not to embarrass Yehuda, so too Yosef was willing to risk his life by leaving himself alone with his brothers uh, just to not embarrass them by telling them that, yeah, he in fact was that person that, he, that uh, the brothers sold into slavery. Okay, so then he reveals himself by saying, I'm Yosef, is my father still alive? So I spoke about the Chafetz Chaim, said this is going to be what's going to happen on Yom Hadin, on, on the day of judgment, uh, where God's going to say, I'm Hashem, you know, and, and all, our, all of what we did is going to be revealed. And I said, not just the bad things that we did, but the brothers felt justified in selling Yosef. It's specifically those things that we feel justified in doing. And then we realize in the end that we were actually wrong. Those things are going to hurt so badly that it's going to silence us, just like the brothers were silenced when Yosef told them uh, who he was. Um, and also, when that thing where, he's, where Yosef says, I, I'm Yosef, is my father still alive? Well, of course the father's still alive because uh, Yehuda just explained that his father was still living. So why is he asking that? Rabbi Goldberg says it's because um, he it's because he's not asking, is my father still alive? Rather, he's asking, is my father, is my father Yaakov still alive within me? Uh, you know, Yehuda was already a different person at this point in time. Sorry, Yosef is already a different person at this point in time. He was wearing Egyptian clothing. He was the leader of Egypt. He was speaking Egyptian. And he said, is my father still alive within me? Am I still, do I still have the ethics? Do I still, do I still live a Jewish lifestyle? Um, uh, it, or am I totally Egyptian now? Is my father still alive within me? Okay, moving on. So the Tanchuma speaks about how don't feel bad. You know, Yosef says, don't feel bad uh, that you sold me into slavery. It was all part of God's plan. And uh, the Tanchuma explains that slaves are normally forced into slavery as where the Jewish people sort of got a hero's welcome into Egypt. And eventually after that, they became slaves. I also spoke about how uh, to comfort the brothers, Yosef says, I'm your brother that you sold into Egypt. And how is that comforting? I'm your brother that you sold into Egypt. Say, I'm your brother that you love so much growing up with. Don't say, I'm your brother that you sold into Egypt. That's the most painful thing that the brothers could remember. And the lesson here being is that it uses the word that, asher. Um, it could be interpreted as that, but it also could be interpreted as because. I'm your brother because you sold me into Egypt. It's precisely because of that journey into Egypt that I became who I am today. Um, okay, so moving on. So, Vayetev Vane Paro, that the fact that the brothers uh, came to Egypt was pleasing in the eyes of Paro. The, the Svarno explains that now that Yosef um, was not a foreigner, Yosef now had his family living there with him. Uh, the Svarno explains that now that he was no longer a foreigner, he wouldn't, 
he, he had some skin in the game and he would possibly rule Egypt um, in a better way. Okay, so uh, moving on. So uh, the Parsha says, Al Tirgzu Baderech. Yosef tells his brothers, Al Tirgzu Baderech. Don't become angry on the way back to the land of, of, uh, of Canaan. And the reason that he says don't become angry, uh, one interpretation I heard is don't become angry baderech, in, in your ways. So the lesson here is that everybody kind of has their own derech. Everyone has their own path, their own way of life. And don't become angry at the way of life of somebody else when you're on the way. When, when each person is on their own derech, um, you know, you can correct them if they need to be corrected, but don't be angry with, uh, with other people's uh, way, of life, way of life. Moving on, so um, the, to, to deliver the news, the commentaries say that Sarah, she played the harp and she sang songs to Yaakov to tell Yaakov the news that Yosef still was alive, and not only was he alive, that he was the leader of Egypt. And the reason that he, that she was chosen to sing to sing and play the harp is because big news should be delivered very carefully. This was such huge, earth-shaking news for Yaakov that it had to be delivered in uh, with with utmost sort of uh, uh, care. Okay, moving on. So uh, so Yaakov, his heart rejected his heart rejected the news. He wasn't willing to accept that Yosef was still alive until later. And the reason that his heart first rejected it, the Avos. Rabbi Nassan explains is because it's sort of the boy who cried wolf that we already saw the brother's tendency to lie to tell or, or to at least hint at a lie that by showing the bloody garment uh, that and 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 left and left uh, Yosef, and left Yaakov the um, the the sort of obvious conclusion that 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 uh, Yosef was eaten by a by a wild beast and. Uh, and, and because of that lie, now Yosef, now Yaakov was no longer willing to accept the brothers. So because it was sort of the boy who cried wolf, because they first lied about Yaakov's death, um, he, they, at first, at least, uh, Yaakov was not willing to accept that they were telling the truth about, about the fact that, 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 or sorry, about Yosef's death. Now they were not willing to accept the truth that Yosef was still alive. Um, okay, moving on. So Yaakov, uh, he uh, again regains his prophecy and he prophesizes at night that God will descend into Egypt. And we see that every time Yaakov has a prophecy, it's always at night. And that's perhaps because one of the darkest times of Jewish history is being slaves in Egypt. And that darkness, uh, even during that darkness, Yaakov was able to have prophecy. And so too, for that that holiday of Hanukkah that just passed, um, that even though it's the darkest nights, we still should have some light. Okay, so Paro, he asks Yaakov, um, when he meets Yaakov, Paro asks him, what are the days of the years of your life? Meaning, um, which is a really weird way to say, how old are you? So, but what actually this means is, what are the years of your life is just how old are you? But what are the days of the years of your life means, how many days of your life did you actually have productive? And of course, uh, then Yaakov responds that really my 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 ancestors, uh, my forefathers, they live they lived much more productive lives. And you think about that that if if you know Yaakov himself didn't live a productive life or as productive as he could have, Kovachomer certainly uh, we probably have a lot of room to improve in our productiveness. Moving to my last point, I spoke about how 
once all the money, once everybody spent all their money on green, once all the Egyptians spent everything they had in gold on, on green, then they sold all their livestock to be able to eat. And then Yosef uh, tells them, sell all your land and become sharecroppers. And I said, this really laid the groundwork for sort of a slavery infrastructure that ultimately the Jewish people uh, fell into. And I said that even, you know, sometimes, even though Yosef had every right to ask uh, for all their land, because you had to be, you know, if you want bread, you have to pay for it. So even though he had every right to ask the people for land, maybe we shouldn't try to squeeze every penny out of every person at every moment. And it's perhaps because uh, Yosef tried to squeeze, sort of, sort of squeeze the money and squeeze the resources in order to uh, sell, sell them, sell them uh, land. It's perhaps precisely because of that squeeze, um, even though it was justified, even though it was a justified squeeze, squeeze. Uh, not, nevertheless, that squeeze ultimately set up the slavery infrastructure, that that sort of sharecropping um, infrastructure that ultimately the Jews uh, fell victim to. Okay, so to read my poem, I am Yosef, is my father still alive? Yaakov sees his prophecy re- revived. All Egyptian land belonged to Paro except for the priests. The Jews did well in Egypt and their numbers increased. With that, l'chaim l'chaim.